Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. Tonight is Thursday, October 1st, 2009. My guest tonight is Alan Weiss, the founder and president of the ANS and a social entrepreneur who's played a significant role in the building of the internet and has a vision for education and future innovation. Hi, Alan, and thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here, too. You can't see it, but I have a picture of you up on the screen. Before we get started with the interview, I would like to show you a little bit about Illuminate in this environment. The webinar is sponsored by Illuminate and by Learn Central, which is my project of passion. I'm calling it after the interview with John Seeley Brown. Uh, Learn Central is a social network for educators. It is free, and it does have Illuminate baked in, so you can use Illuminate for free in that environment. And it's intended to do some really fun things to help educators connect with each other. If this, uh, oh, uh, coming up, we have some great uh, interviews next week. Dennis Litke on Big Picture Schools, uh, October 8th on Learning Games, SRI on Social Networking on the 20th. Tim Westerman from Pandora coming up, Henry Jenkins. You'll see lots of fun interviews there, including Clay Shirky, Doc Searles, Tim Magner, Dave Thornburg, and James Paul Gee, who are not yet scheduled but are committed. And if you've missed them, uh, recent interviews with Dana Boyd, Howard Rheingold, and John City Brown are recorded and up wherever you've seen the announcements for these shows. There's a recording link. If this is your first time at Illuminate, want to make sure that you know what you're doing. Uh, you'll see a participant window. Uh, Alan can't see this because he's on the telephone, but I will see everything that's going on. And below that participant window are some little emoticons that let you uh, participate. There's a smiley face, a clapping hand, a confused face, and a thumbs down. There's also a hand with a green arrow up, and that's how you raise your hand and let us know you want to ask a question. If you'd like to ask a question through the microphone, do be sure to run Tools, Audio, and the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your mic is configured correctly. You can also leave questions in the chat, and I'll grab them and make sure that Alan's aware of them. Um, there is a whiteboard to the right, and I am now going to give you permission to modify that whiteboard. And you can put a little star where you are. You do that by clicking on the wand with the red dot at the end, and clicking on the map. And you can shout out where you're listening from as well if you'd like. So, so far an all-U.S. crowd. I'm sure glad to have you here. Okay, so am I saying it right, Alan, if I say Weiss? You are saying it right. So, um, this has been a really fun book for me to read. Your publicist actually contacted me about having you on the show. And then as soon as I got the book, I felt like uh, you know, uh, I would do anything to have you on the show. Uh, could you give, uh, and I'm afraid to say I didn't know much about you. And I'm sorry to say that I didn't know much about you. Uh, could you give us sort of a brief overview of um, who you are, knowing that we'll dive into the story of ANS and ThinkQuest and other things as well, but just uh, maybe sort of a two-minute flyby of your professional life? Okay. Um, I uh, worked for IBM for 30 years. I started as a third shift computer operator and left as a vice president. Uh, in 1990, 
I started a company called Advanced Network and Services, uh, which is, the book is about. And we built the backbone of the Internet and were the largest and fastest part for almost five years. Uh, we sold it. And I used the rest of I used all of the money uh, to advance education through the use of technology. That's the short version. That is a short version, but there there's plenty there to, to drill down on. Um, I've put up and you can't see it, but I've actually started a web browser in the session and, and have put up the advanced.org website so people can see it. And uh, we'll put up a couple of others as we move forward. What's been fun for me in reading the book and having been having talked about Web 2.0 and its impact on education in the last couple of years through this interview series and, and some other projects, was to read about things you were doing 10 plus years ago that sound very familiar. Uh, and also to, to feel the tension between student participation and standardized testing. What do you think's changed in the last 10 years and what hasn't? Oh my goodness. Um. I think the the focus on on testing uh, and teaching to the test uh, has has gotten stronger. Uh, I uh, I think kids have now sort of gotten into the internet and the web. Uh, almost a second nature. Uh, ten years ago, uh, it was really in its infancy almost. But today, it's part of their everyday lives. And uh, they have the resources of the world at their fingertips. And they take advantage of it. And I think it's affected the way they, they think and their hand-eye coordination. Uh, I, I just uh, can't keep up to my grandson. Uh, he sort of calls me an old lady on the web. And I think that is going to, that, that pattern is going to accelerate in the next several years. You've reminded me of uh, an interview I did with Mark Andreessen. Uh, about a year ago, in which he talked about how much easier it is to program now as well. So it, it feels as though the, the web has just opened up this enormous field of opportunity, but you're also saying at the same time schools have become even more directed toward uh, not being able to capture or capitalize on that. I, I had some interesting experiences uh, when I started ThinkQuest. Uh, I did a lot of sort of market research. And I, I talked to a lot of corporations that build educational materials. And I still do. Uh, and they build their software to the market. And the market is to provide materials to pass tests, because that's what the schools want. And then I talked, I most probably visited 50 or 60 schools. And I talked to the school superintendents. And they say they would be replaced if the school scores dropped a point or two. 
And that's why uh, that's one of the reasons I created ThinkQuest because I decided that the kids could teach other kids uh, the things that they thought were important, and maybe that would work. So we won't get ahead of ourselves, but uh, because I'd like to go through that story with you, uh, both of, of ANS and, Think, and ThinkQuest. But uh, you know, as you and I were talking before we actually came alive, I'm intrigued by how Web 2.0 seems to have reinvigorated this interest, reinvigorated or continued this interest in student participation and a change in teaching and learning. And how it seems like maybe in Web 2.0, it's been a little bit more teacher-driven because, as Classroom 2.0 shows, there are 30,000 educators out there being transformed by the web in their own personal lives, and they want to figure out a way to bring it into education. How would you respond to that uh, comparison? I think that the kids always be ahead of the teachers in their use of the web. But I think that the schools and the teachers are beginning to understand the value of it. And they're using it in the classroom. There's, there, there are more and more educational materials on the web these days. Uh, and uh, a lot of states provide uh, educational servers full of educational software. Uh, uh, there are a lot of programs that uh, put uh, educational software onto computers and give them to kids. And there are a lot of programs that teach the teachers uh, how to use the stuff and uh, how to take advantage of technology today. It's, it's been a long process, but the teachers uh, are catching up. They're also younger. I think the average time a person is a teacher is five years or so. Well, so I'd like to come back to that. And, and drill down a little because I'm, I'm interested also in a thing, a trend I've noticed, which is that oftentimes it's the older teachers who seem to have the time to actually uh, spend thinking about technology. And maybe we can look at that and compare a little. But let's talk, if we can, first about uh, advanced network and services because I was not really aware of this history. You described it, or it's described in the, in the book, as a successful model of social entrepreneurship. What made ANS different? Well, from the very beginning, uh, when we started it, we started it with a model of giving back. Uh, we formed it as a not-for-profit from day one and wanted to create something where whatever we made would be used to advance education through the use of technology and the technology we created. Uh, 
so it it started with a with a give back philosophy and it's continued that way ever since. Well I get the feeling reading the book that you're inherently a collaborator yourself. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Uh, nothing and I believe this, nothing in the world gets done that's really significant without people collaborating. And I'll tell you a, an interesting story. Uh, we had ThinkQuest finals and ThinkQuest awards. Uh, and in 2000, we were supposed to hold it in Egypt. But there was a problem uh, because things started to heat up in the Middle East. And there was only one place in the world that I felt that I could hold it. And that was at CERN where everyone from all the nations or all the scientists from all the nations get together and work on big problems. So we chose that as our place. I called up some friends at CERN. And we held the awards at CERN. And it was an example of even in the troublesome times that we were facing, that people have to collaborate and see the great challenges they take on. And the only way to do it is by working together. Yeah, I was struck as well by the story of when you had eighty to seven thousand dollars in the bank and you were at a two million dollar a month burn rate. And it seemed I mean the story <laughs> may be it may be more complicated than you tell in the book, but your intuitive sense was to find a win win solution and to collaborate with someone. Uh, my CFO told me one day that we had $87,000 in the bank with a $2 million, burn rate, $2 million a month burn rate. And I said, oh my goodness. Uh, I went to bed that night. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, in my head, <laughs> I got up and I, I always had paper by the side of the bed. And I totally redesigned uh, a voice switch and an ATM switch uh, that Northern Telecom had in my mind. And I wrote it down. And I called up the president of Northern Telecom the next day and said, hey, I can make your switches go faster. And they flew an airplane down, uh, flew us up to Canada. There was no one, there were only two or three people in the room when we got there. And when we left, they were like, 40, 50 people in the room, and we had totally redesigned this, which, and I got a couple million bucks the next day. We have five. Well, the way that you talk about your, the, the role of ANS in the development of the Internet and in um, really creating an opportunity, especially for the United States, but worldwide, for this kind of uh, technology to be pervasive. I get the feeling that it, it couldn't have happened if there wasn't a collaborator 
driving it. Well, I give great credit to the National Science Foundation, and particularly to a guy named Steve Wolf at the National Science Foundation, who was in charge of the networking effort. He he had an awful lot of vision, and uh, we worked with him, and we were just lucky to be. You know, there were there were sort of like windows of opportunity in life where something happens and you're in the right place at the right time and whatever, and you have the resources to act. Well, uh, I just happened to be there and I could pull on all the resources of IBM, MCI. IBM spent a couple hundred million dollars on this and MCI did the same. Uh, but it was a collaborative effort, and you know the the universities all helped, and the state of Michigan put some money in. So once again, I get back to your point on collaboration. Nothing really big happens unless you know everybody collaborates, and we had uh, academia, industry, government, the private sector, you know, not for profits. Everybody was sort of pulling in the same direction because we all saw a big pony there. So I'm wondering if uh, I'm wondering if, this, this, if there isn't really this fascinating confluence of opportunity right now. It seems like the web tends to web 2.0 tends to draw out people who are inherently collaborative or, or helps them to, to be collaborative. There's this enormous amount of innovation that seems possible because of the communication and the collaboration. And there's a, an economic crisis which is going to require that we shift gears. So are we at a point in time in history where we might actually see kind of dramatic changes in how things get done? I hope so. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, there are a lot of really grand challenges facing us in the next 10 years uh, when you look at the economic condition of the world and uh, the environmental issues that we face today and the health, the health care issues that the world faces. Uh, I think that the web is going to be used in a very important way. And you talk about web 2.0. I think the future is in web 3.0, and you should ask me what my vision of that is. Well, if it's tele-immersion, we're getting there. <laughs> okay, it is. <laughs> Okay, so um, our, can, before we leave the ANS story and move to Think to ThinkQuest, um, that moment in time okay. when, when you decided to kind of shift gears with ANS, um, was that because in order to stay um, 
in the role that you'd been in, it would have required being much more competitive than collaborative. Was that a part of the, the transition? Um, there's, there are several things. One is I have a pretty short attention span. Uh, even though I worked for IBM 30, for 30 years, I never had a job more than three years. Uh, the second was that uh, the first couple years, uh, we were only in the Internet business four and a half years. Uh, it was very collaborative in the beginning. And when everyone saw that they could make a buck in it, uh, your friends turned into competitors. Uh, MCI, which supported me very dramatically in the beginning, turned out to be one of my fiercest competitors. IBM uh, turned out to be a competitor uh, because everybody saw how successful this was getting. And I knew that if you didn't, own the underlying infrastructure, the telecommunications infrastructure, you couldn't really succeed in the future in the Internet. Uh, so uh, I figured this was a good exit point, and we put the company up to sale. We hired Solomon Brothers, and we had, oh, about 30, 40 different organizations around the world that were interested in buying us. And uh, our biggest customer at the time was AOL. And I had dinner with Steve Case and closed the deal. <laughs> so uh, AOL bought us. So Steve from Castellet School is asking, what do you make of the term coopetition? the collaboration that happens between companies that also compete in one with one another in certain areas. And is coopetition also present between students who collaborate with each other in some areas, but in our present school system who are also competing with one another for grades, entrance to schools, and so on? I think it's a very natural evolution. Uh, we, in in our second year, you could see that we were collaborating with the regional networks, uh, and they were starting to get into business. Uh, we were collaborating with our partners. Uh, they were still funding us in some ways and helping us, but we were competing with them. Uh, and it's a natural evolution of something that is successful. If your parents or your partners aren't competing with you, and I mean parents in a business sense, uh, then you may not be in the right business. And Steve, I'm going to respond just briefly because you've been in the last couple of interviews I think as well where we've talked about the, the, maybe a little bit of the difference between the K-12 educator environment and, and higher ed faculty, where the K-12 educators tend to have more opportunity to collaborate, 
whereas in higher ed there is a little bit more competition and maybe we see less collaboration because of the publisher parish issue. Well, uh, so I, I came across a name, Alan, in the story I didn't expect to see, and that was Gwen Solomon. So what role did Gwen play, and how did ThinkQuest start? Uh, Gwen was a wonderful sounding board for almost everything I did in ThinkQuest. Uh, I uh, I got on the education mailing list pretty early before I announced ThinkQuest, and I started to pick the brains of so many of the outstanding educators in the country. Uh, Gwen Solomon uh, was one. Linda Roberts, who was the uh, at the U.S. Department of Education. Uh, sort of like the assistant secretary. Uh, she was enormously helpful. The whole education community uh, really loved what I was doing, so it was very easy to pick their brains and uh, get their feedback. Uh, when I wrote the rules up for ThinkQuest, I'd send them out and they would beat me up and I change it here and there. Uh, she was wonderful, and she still is. Well, it's funny. I've had a lot of contact with Gwen over the last couple of years, but just didn't know that part of the story. So what were you trying to do with ThinkQuest? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I wanted to bring the power of the internet to students, and you know, it, it, you could tell back then that the internet was a participatory and collaborative place, and even in the, I had the idea for ThinkQuest. Uh, in the oh around ninety two but i I didn't have the time or uh, to do it because I was busy in the internet business uh, but in ninety five uh, you could just see it, and I had the resources uh, and it, you knew it was going to be important to K-12 because you know, we had connected up all the universities in the country. And uh, I kept on saying, hey, if it's good for universities, why isn't it good for K-12? Uh, because that's the feeder for the universities. And I figured that the kids could build good educational tools uh, if they built it, good educational tools which weren't available on the internet then, then they could be used by the teachers in the classroom, by kids around the world for education. And I thought at the time that 
a lot of teachers were avoiding the use of the internet in in the classroom uh, because they weren't familiar with it. And if I could get the kids involved, the kids would get them involved. Uh, and as it turned out, that did work. And then I thought, and I mentioned this before, that I thought the kids thought differently than adults. Uh, and that they would build things that were sort of mind-blowing educational tools. And my goodness, they they surpassed my fondest expectations. You mentioned a number of the winners, I think, of maybe the first year. Do you want to talk about one or two just in terms of what those sort of mind-blowing things were? Well, one of the simple ones that has left an indelible mark on my memory is a site called War Eyes. And it it characterizes a lot of what the web 2.0 is about. Uh, it was it was a very basic site that talked about war uh, in the home, on the streets, across conflicted borders, uh, through the eyes of kids. That's why it was called War Eyes. And then they asked the people that were looking and watching uh, their site to put their own stories in. And kids from all over the world would put their stories in about how they felt about gangs on the street or violence in the home or tanks running over their school. And I'd sit there and I'd read it and tears would flow out of my eyes. It was it was something that left an indelible mark, as I said, on my memory. Okay, so I love the program. I, I love uh, the stories about it. But I want to ask a candid question and, and, and see if um, there's more to the story here. I went to the ThinkQuest site, and it says that there aren't going to be any awards for 2010 as they kind of regroup and figure out, Oracle does, I guess, what's going to happen. And ThinkQuest is just this marvelous program, and yet I don't feel as though it's sort of overtaken the establishment and helped us to see a new way in education. So why hasn't it been, I mean, I'm couching this carefully, obviously a very successful program, why hasn't it been more successful? Um. I can't speak for Oracle, but we took a year and stopped 
and thought about it. Uh, and I think every once in a while it's a good idea to rather than just continue on with with the program to stop, think, and say, this was a good idea when the window of opportunity was was here. But many years have passed and is it still as good a window of opportunity and does it do everything we want? Uh, that's that's some of the things that I think. Uh, Oracle has a different problem than the Oracle Foundation has a different problem than ANS had. Uh, we were a very tiny target. Uh, and we allowed self-modifying pages. So an entry like War Eyes that I just described, where it grew over time and became more valuable over time, that worked. But Oracle is very concerned with security. They are a major, you know, they they have a, a target. Uh, if they misstep one little bit, if kids put up the wrong thing, uh, they have major legal issues. Uh, so what they did is put everything behind this secure wall, which prevented self-modifying pages. Uh, so over the years, many of the features of ThinkQuest have changed uh, for very good reasons. Um, in addition, I mean, we gave $2 million a year in scholarships away. And the Oracle Foundation uh, provides uh, I think computers uh, as the prizes, so or as the awards. So the whole nature of ThinkQuest over the past several years has changed, and it's time to step back and say, uh, in this environment, what is the right thing to do? You know, that's actually a very exciting answer for me. Because I'm watching companies like Weebly, who, who just uh, created a, a make-your-own-website program for education that's free, and that are also partnering with the National History Day Foundation. You know, maybe maybe the excitement I'm feeling is that you wouldn't have to provide that platform, but you could still provide the awards, so you didn't have to take responsibility for everything that gets created, but you could just allow people to be creating websites and submit them, and then give notoriety to the winners. They have to, that's why they're taking a year off. Uh, they have to figure out what 
the next step is going to be. Incidentally, I'm going out to the ThinkQuest Awards in Redwood City next week. Oh, how fun! Hey, Deborah asks, and I know this is a this. I'm lobbing this wonderful question to you. Deborah asks, "Have you followed the students that participated over the years to find out how they are doing today?" Not all of them, but about a hundred. Uh, we, uh, I've been, I've formed friends, friendships with uh, about a hundred kids. Uh, they aren't kids anymore. Many of them are running uh, successful web companies. Uh, some of them are still in. Stanford or MIT or other colleges and universities around the world uh, getting their PhDs or uh, it, I followed uh, a kid in Uganda. I followed a kid in Hong Kong, uh, all over the world. And uh, maybe six times a week I get emails from the kids or some of the coaches. I'm I'm friendly with a lot of the coaches. Uh, uh, it's it's a wonderful thing to get up in the morning, turn your computer on, and get a note from a kid. Well, you mentioned several in the book, um, more specifically, but it does sure sound like you believe that this made a difference in their lives. I, I'm absolutely convinced from the feedback that I've received. I, yeah, I'm on Facebook, and uh, so many kids have found me, uh, and I ask them all the same question. You know, has has this had an impact on your life? And the uh, the stories are just wonderful. Okay, so um, it, I think it would be fair to say that you believe that the technology is going to transform education. Is that reasonable? Absolutely, absolutely. So, do you want to start? Uh, do, shall we launch into teleimmersion? I'm ready. Go for it. Okay, I had this idea in the mid-90s uh, to create an environment uh, that was, in essence, distributed virtual reality, where you could be in California, I could be in Florida, somebody else could be in Chicago, and we could create an environment where all of us were in the same room, and we saw each other in total three dimensions. And I could reach over and touch your shoulder, and you could feel it. And I wanted it to be an educational environment where you could run a class, and you could be talking about chemistry, and you could say, here's a chemical molecule. And it would pop down because it was computer generated. 
and I could grab the different parts of it and pull them apart and feel the forces. And we actually demonstrated this environment uh, across three sites uh, in the mid-90s. And there are pictures of the demonstration on our website. Uh, we created something called the telecubicle where we had uh, several cameras that surrounded you uh, that captured your three-dimensional image. And we sprayed imperceptible structured light all over you, which created your 3D uh, body. And then we paced the image on top of the 3D body. And uh, at that time, we used about a half a gig of of capacity between the sites at 15 frames a second. Uh, but in 10 years, half a gig will be common. Uh, Internet 2 is pumping petabytes now. Uh, and uh, so the speeds are just going to be, in 10 years, way beyond petabytes, I think. So the net will have the capacity, uh, at least between schools and universities. And this will become the learning environment, I think, of the future. Because you'll be able to get inside of a problem and understand it intuitively rather than read about it on a flat book. Uh, the government's funding it now pretty heavily. Uh, uh, the National Science Foundation is funding it. There's a lot of work in universities on it. Uh, but we started it, and uh, a fellow named Jaron Lania, who invented virtual reality, ran the program for me. Uh, he's brilliant. So I respond with somewhat mixed emotions to that. And let me tell you why. Uh, I think in part because I watch a lot of uh, use of Second Life, which, while obviously very simplified compared to your description of teleimmersion, still attempts to create a sort of an immersive environment. And one of the things that I worry gets lost is the capacity to be a creator. And that's part of what I really loved about Web 2.0. and and what's so great about ThinkQuest was the ability of the student to actually create learning materials for others. How do you see that creative capacity coming out in a system that's so complex like Teleimmersion? Well, it's not going to be commercially available if it's very complex. So that's why I say 10, maybe 15 years, I think 10 years. Uh, it'll all of the screens that we use in our homes will change. All the, I mean, look what's happened in the past ten years, and things are moving at an exponential rate. So the technology will be there, um, and 
everything that's happening in Web 2.0 doesn't have to change. Uh, it can still be a collaborative environment where kids produce things and teachers produce things and then show it to others. Uh, this is just a tool. It's not an end. It's like the Internet and the Web are a tool that enable Web 2.0. This is just a tool that's a little more powerful that will enable more things to occur. You also talk about the importance of computers getting into the homes of students. And I think you've even um, participated in funding organizations that do that, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think that uh, you're at a competitive disadvantage uh, if and I'm talking about kids, if, if you don't have a computer in the home. Uh, because a lot of the studies show that kids that have computers in the home uh, are more engaged in their schoolwork, uh, their families uh, get involved with them, and they, I don't like to say this, but they get better test scores. Uh, but I think that's an important measure too. Uh, so we've we funded a program in New York called Computers for Youth, and uh, they had such great results. We took them national, uh, so they're all around the country now. And in Sarasota, that's where I live. Uh, I funded a program with the Education Foundation to put computers in the homes of the kids here, and they've had spectacular results. We we put about a thousand computers a year into the homes of kids in Sarasota. CFY is uh, a little larger, a lot larger, uh, because they're national. You know, I need to make a connection for you also with um, a guy named Larry Ferlazzo, if you don't know him already here in Sacramento, who's put computers in the homes of immigrant students and their families and just seen enormous results helping them learn English as well as achieving academically. Uh, when we, let me explain how the computers get in the homes. Uh, there are classes that are held uh, and in the schools. And uh, we bring the families in and the kids. Uh, we teach them how to put the computer together. Uh, we teach them this, about the software that's on it. Uh, we give them uh, instructions uh, as to how to get on the web. Uh, then the kids go out of the room and we teach the parents uh, a few things about uh, how to keep the kids safe on the net. And then the kids take the computer home and the families get involved in it. And that is the strongest thing. And the results have just been fantastic. Uh, it sounds like a great program. Deborah's asking, 
do you give them internet connections as well? The answer is yes. Uh, and uh, what we've done is we've negotiated uh, bulk discounts. Uh, it's a lot easier in urban areas uh, than it is, say, uh, in a town like Sarasota, where uh, uh, we have areas that are very rural. And those are the areas that um, the parents can't pay for, and they don't even have uh, a cable connection in their home. Uh, many of them don't have a telephone connection in their home. Uh, they have a cell phone. So we're having to work with the cable company to do some build-outs. Uh, this is really going to take off a lot better when uh, we have higher speed mobile uh, cell service uh, because that has a broader reach. Uh, because the build-out cost for cable and telephone poles uh, just isn't going to happen in some of these areas. These are areas where migrant workers come in. And boy, yes, we do focus. A lot of our classes are taught in Spanish. Uh, uh, in New York, uh, more than half the classes are taught in Spanish. Sounds like a great program. You've you've invested in other organizations and actually made a choice to to take the earnings or the the capital and, and place it in other nonprofits you believe in. Do you want to mention any of those? Uh, yes, but first let me cover the choice. Uh, we made a choice several years ago to spend down everything we had earned. And we spent down about 128 million, uh, and we decided to pick organizations and pick something that we wanted the organization to do. We focused on really good management, really good programs. Uh, do they make a difference? Can they have a great impact? And they can can they be self-sustaining uh, when we go away? Uh, and uh, I missed the second part of the question. Uh, well, did you want to mention any specifically? Oh yes. Uh, we've we've supported the National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship, uh, where where they teach teachers how to teach kids to build a business, and uh, 
the kids uh, will build a business, for example, to make chocolate-covered strawberries. And then they'll build a business plan. And the teachers teach them how to build a business plan. And then they teach them how to market. So they go to churches and bar and weddings and sell their chocolate-covered strawberries. And the idea behind it is the only way to get out of poverty is to make a buck. You don't make money. And uh, it's, it's helped so many kids uh, get a different view on life. That's one program we supported. Another program we support is a program called Year Up, where they, it started in Boston. It's national now. Uh, and they take kids that are really from very troubled areas uh, from the inner city that really don't have a future. And uh, they they find the kids, and right now it's it's just grown by leaps and bounds, and uh, word of mouth gets out. The kids apply, and they have to sign a year contract, a one-year contract, uh, with Year Up, and Year Up pays them a certain amount for the first six months show up. And they have to show up every day on time, dressed properly, and they teach the kids uh, help desk skills, information technology skills, uh, social skills, how to interview, uh, how to hold a fork. Uh, and it's just wonderful. And then the next six months, they sort of guarantee them a job. Uh, and they get jobs at Fidelity or uh, a bank or uh, IBM or someplace as an intern. And all these companies are looking for people like that to be an intern. Uh, and these kids work so hard, but they know how to interview. They, they, uh, they've learned. And the success rate after their years up is just phenomenal because most of the companies that they intern with are from a full-time job. So they take a kid off the street that's really troubled, doesn't know how to make a living. At the end of the year, the kid gets thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. Uh, and they have a life. So it's a it's a wonderful program and it's got a great business model. And I am delighted that we participated in it. Yeah, Deborah's saying what a great uh, program. Very excited about it. Okay, so we only have a couple of minutes left. I wanted to ask you if, uh, given your um, sort of sense of the power of 
collaboration and given the scope of the uh, potential issues facing this country and the world in the next 10 years, where do you think uh, right now there's a, a real need for a government-private industry cooperative venture? I think in several areas, uh, the environment just stands out and sort of like hits me. Uh, it's it's urgent. Uh, it's something that can't wait, and it has to be attacked by major government funds, major private funds, uh, the brains of everyone from universities to the research centers of uh, of industry. Uh, it's and it's a worldwide problem. It, it it's going to take collaboration from just about everyone. Uh, we're going to the Antarctic in a in a few months, and the reason we chose to do it so soon is the environment down there is so fragile that I think this is going to be the last opportunity that people have to see it because uh, they're going to stop all the all the traffic there. Uh, it, it's a major, major problem. Uh, I think healthcare is a worldwide problem that's going to take the same kind of collaborative effort. Uh, I can go on, but I think the environment is... We all live here. And uh, uh, we enjoy the planet we live on, and uh, it's changing in a very radical way, and if we don't do something about it, uh, it's not going to be the same for our grandkids. Okay, those are great words to end on. Uh, sure has been a uh, fun time getting to know you. Loved the book. Again, the book is The Business of Changing Lives, how one company took the information superhighway to the inner city. I highly recommend it. Um, you'll see the cover on the on the whiteboard there. You're getting thanks in the chat for coming on, Alan, and I want to thank you as well and thank those who've attended. Special thanks to Illuminate and Lorencento for hosting and providing the service. I'm going to leave the list of future events coming up on the screen. And uh, as you exit, you'll notice that a survey comes up and would love it if you'd fill that out and let us know how we're doing. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time. And I've enjoyed it, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for being such a great contributor. Much appreciated. I think everybody owes. Well, you've done a great job in paying back. Okay, so uh, please feel free to hang up when you would like. I'm going to turn the recorder off and we'll say good night. And I uh, look forward to, to Alan, I'll correspond with you or through Lauren. Um, look forward to, to hearing more about what you're doing. And, and uh, we'll look forward to 
to events coming up next week. Dennis Lipke on uh, Big Picture Schools and Morning Games on Thursday. Thanks, everybody. Good night.